Jesus, come on, Jesus has something good for me today. Do you believe it? Amen. He does. He always has something good for you. He's got something good for you. We want to welcome all of our live stream uh, family, and we want to bless you. We believe the Lord has something good for you today. It's the resurrection day. It's the day we celebrate the resurrection. So it's good news all the way around. So the word gospel means. It means good news. Any version that's expressed of Jesus that doesn't contain good news is not the gospel because it's the gospel. It's good news. You can be forgiven. You can be restored. You can have hope. You can begin again. There's, not, there's no failure in your life that God cannot overcome. You carry resurrection power. If you're a Christian and you've been giving your life to Christ, and if you're not a Christian, we're going to give you an opportunity to become one today. But if you're a Christian, you carry resurrection power. You have the ability. Nothing's dead. So long as Jesus is alive in you, nothing's dead. The resurrection isn't just an event, it's an experience that all are invited unto. Paul writes this to one of my favorite books in the Bible, is uh, 1 Corinthians. And uh, Cor Corinth is an interesting city. If you're not familiar with the scriptures at all, the back end of the New Testament are letters that were written to these churches. And there were letters of instruction, there were letters of correction, there were letters of exhortation. And so Corinthian, the first, first and second Corinthians are letters that were written to the church at Corinth. And this church in Corinth was, it's a very familiar city. It's a very city, it's a city very much like Miami. It's a very cosmopolitan city. There were people from all over the Roman Empire. It was a resort town, and people were wild and crazy. Oons, oons, oons. You know what I'm talking about? Right. Everybody went to Corinth to party. And so when the church, when the people became born again and started becoming Christians in the church, that's, I call 1 Corinthians, and 1 and 2 Corinthians called Christians Gone Wild, because that's really what it is. is there was a, they all came to Jesus, and they were all lit up with this love, and they were all lit up with this power, but they were still carrying with them a lot of the lingering effects of, an, of another life. And what Paul was doing, Paul was not taking away from their vitality. He was merely molding it in a new direction. Right? So these, these people were very much alive and they were very excited and, you know, they were extremely hospitable, but at the same time, they were very, very indulgent. Right? Just a couple of quick stories from Corinth just to kind of acclimate you to this book. I'm not going to spend a lot of time in Corinth, but I do want to, I like to illuminate the Bible whenever I can. Is, uh, so these guys, so there was a guy in that, in that church that was sleeping with his mother-in-law. Right? This is, this is where the church was. And he's bringing his, he's basically having an affair with his father's wife, not his mother. And so he's walking around the church and like, hey, me and her, we're together, you know, like nothing, no big deal because it was culturally accepted. But Paul's like, wait a second, this is just because this is culturally accepted doesn't mean it's kingdom accepted. Like y'all got to do something about this, right? Another thing that was going on is, and this is one of my favorites, is that they had, um, they would have these things they called love feasts and they would have parties where they'd have food and everybody just be enjoying each other's company. And um, the idea of that was to not just born community among the Christian, but it was also to reach out to unbelievers, right? That was kind of the idea. And what was happening was, is that all the Christians were cutting each other off in the buffet line, right? So they're shoving each other out of the way to get more of the chicken wings. And Paul was like, look, when you come to these love feasts, don't be a glutton, you know? Eat in your own house before you come to the love feast. You know, it's kind of like, you, you get what I'm saying? You ever, you ever been in that? You know, so as Christians, this was some of the stuff that was going on in Corinth. There was a lot of crazy stuff going on. And Paul is talking to this church, and he's saying, of all of the things that you're experiencing, another thing that this church was experiencing is they were absolutely lit up with the Holy Spirit. Lit up, Right? They were lit up. If Ephesus was probably the most doctrinal, but Corinth was the most free. You don't see the manifestations of power that you see in Corinth in Ephesus because they were focused too much on doctrine. This is where God corrected them in the book of Revelation, and he told them, you've left your first love. Well, what was their first love? Their first love wasn't Jesus. He said, repent and do the first works. When Ephesus came to Christ and that city came to Christ, they started experiencing power. And but then they tried to find reasons behind all of the power. And they left spirituality and went into rationality. And at the same time, they, would be, they became great apologists. They were able to prove the faith very consistently, but they couldn't manifest kingdom. And they couldn't manifest power. And Jesus is correcting them. Within 90 years of that church's existence, the Lord is saying, you, there's an error with you. Your doctrine's great, but, it's not, but you can't produce power. Right? And so this is what's going on here in the New Testament. And this is what Paul's telling this church because they're all in on the Holy Spirit and they're all in on all this crazy stuff and all this beautiful stuff that's going on. And he says, I proclaim to you this gospel. 
which you have received, which you stand in, by which you are saved. There's no other way to get saved than through Jesus. If you are lay hold of it. So this gospel is only meaningful if we lay hold of it. We can't wave it as it passes us by and say, oh, we can't be observers of this kingdom. Christianity is not a spectator sport. You're called to participate. You're called to give your life to it. And you're called to fasten your life to it. This is why it doesn't work for most Christians. Because they do it half-heartedly. One foot in, one foot out. They dip. Toe dippers, right? Toe dipping. It doesn't work like that. You have to, it's, this kingdom is designed that it's all out. It's all in. It's not something we do. It's who we are. I don't do Christianity. I am a Christian. I don't do the kingdom. I am a participant in this kingdom. I'm a son of the highest. And so are you in Christ. Sons or daughters. That's what we are. And he says this, if you will lay hold of this kingdom and fasten your life to it, then he tells them, do not believe in emptiness. Don't believe in vain. Don't believe in foolishness. And he's saying, I'm going to tell you something. I delivered this to you. I told you about Jesus. And everybody says, it's of first importance. Okay, if you're all going to be here at Elevate, you're going to understand how we work, right? Let's try this side. Let's see. It's of first importance. Let's try this side. It's of first importance. Right. He said, this is what I delivered you of first importance, which I have received, that Christ died for our sins. And everybody say this. According to the scriptures. That he was buried and raised the third day, according to the scriptures. Well, you guys are awesome. And so Jesus, this is the first important, the most important thing in life is to know that Christ died for us. And he didn't just die, he rose. He rose. But listen, I'm going to tell you something, and some of you might be a little bit more on the traditional side of Christianity, but the cross is meaningless without the resurrection. Good Friday don't mean anything unless it's Great Sunday. You know what I'm saying? If Christ has not lived, exactly. It's about the resurrection. It's not about the crucifixion as the atonement, but the resurrection is the victory. We thank God for the atonement, but we give him glory for the victory. And he shares that victory with us. This is how good God is. He gives you the victory. He wins the victory on your part, and he gives it to you. He wins the trophy. He wins the prize. He wins the restoration, and he gives it to you. Why? Because he wants to. You're the object of his affection. He loves you. Your dog may not love you. Your cat may not love you. Your wife may not love you. And you may not love yourself sometimes, but Jesus always loves you. And you need to know that. You say it doesn't feel like it. It doesn't matter what it feels like. It's true. You say it's too good to be true. No, it's so good it is true. You understand that? Your reality tells you you're not loved, but the truth says you are. We're just having this conversation. It's something we say here all the time at Elevate. We do not pursue reality. We pursue truth. Your circumstances are not your prophet. We can live by our circumstances. How many knows your circumstances tell you you're going down? Anybody been there? Anybody with me on this? You ever been in a situation where everything around you tells you there's no hope? Did Jesus tell you that? Then there's hope. There's always hope. The Bible says he'll turn every situation out for your good. Who told you it was your final? Who told you it was that? Who told you? George and I were just talking. He's like, I feel like I'm in the fourth quarter of my life. And you know what I told him? I said, Hall of Famers are made in the fourth quarter, George. You don't go into the Hall of Fame because you're a first quarter quarterback. You go into the Hall of Fame because you're a fourth quarter quarterback. Tom Brady isn't known for scoring touchdowns in the first quarter. He's known for scoring touchdowns in the fourth quarter. You understand that? Doesn't matter what quarter you're in in your life. Some of you, you want to give up. Who told you that? Who told you that? The game is on. First Peter says, in his great mercy, he has given us unto a living hope. You have a living hope. First Peter 1.15, or 1.3, excuse me. He's given us a living hope. You have a hope that's alive. You don't have a hope that's out there. This abstract hope, you know, abstract Christianity. It's out there. It's conceptual. We don't follow a concept. We follow the truth. Hope is alive. Hope lives in you. Activate hope, Christian. Stop letting your, letting your circumstances dictate to you and start letting what God says dictate to you. And things will change. Many of Clint says, in his great mercy, he is giving us a living hope through the resurrection from Christ. It's through this resurrection that we have access to a living hope. Many people have claimed to be God. Do you know that? Many people. But there's only one who's proven it. Everybody wants to claim to be God. Everybody wants to be. There's many different people and cultures that that worship different images and personalities and call them God. 
None of them have proved themselves to be God except one. He's not one among many. He's the one and only. There's one rock star and his name is Jesus. Drop the mic, right? Bible says this. He was declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness through the resurrection from the dead. He's God because death cannot hold him. No one can master death except Jesus. He's the Lord of all. Lord of all. He came as us to conquer death on our behalf that he might give to us the eternity of life. <laughs> Come on. Who's making that deal? And nobody making that deal. Jesus is making that deal. Muhammad ain't making that deal. Buddha's not making that deal. No, it's not based on what you do. It's based on what he's done. Right? It's not trying to live this out and weigh it out in the cosmic balance where your good works exceed your, your bad works and you weigh it out. I always ask people, how are you doing? Well, I believe that when I stand before God, my good works are going to outweigh my bad. And I ask him and I say, well, how are you doing? Where, where are we? Do you know where you're at? Are you 50-50? Are you 70-30? Where, where are you at? You don't know. You don't know, but you can know. In Christ, you can know. He gives it away. I tell him people, there's, um, I think Disney, I don't know if he's still frozen, but Disney froze himself in cryogenics. He's cryogenically frozen, waiting for science to create immortality so that they can revive his body. People spending millions of dollars to try to obtain eternal life, and Jesus hands it out like Tic Tacs. Right? Anybody want eternal life? Come unto me. Give your life to me, and I will give my life to you. This is what he is. Why did Christ have to die? Isaiah 59 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor is his ear too heavy that it cannot hear. Everybody say, but your iniquities have separated you from God. God didn't separate himself from us. We separated ourselves from him. Right? He came for us. We left him and he loved us and pursued us. Our iniquities have separated us and our sins have hidden his face for us, from us that he cannot hear. What is iniquity? Iniquity is issues in the bloodline. What condemns man is not smoking, drinking, and chewing and hanging out with those that are doing. Listening to Jay-Z and going to see R-rated movies is not the condemnation. The condemnation is that you're born fallen. You're born lost. It's called iniquity in the bloodline. That's what iniquity is. It's issues in the bloodline. We're all born of Adam, red, yellow, black, and white. Doesn't matter what you are. We're different ethnos. We're different people. But we're all born of a common ancestry. Every human being is born of Adam and Eve. And in Adam, all die, the Bible says, because Adam sinned. So all of us carry the iniquity of Adam. And the scripture says that Jesus came as the last Adam, right, so that we could be born again. Right? Just like that first, the first Adam was a life giver. His side was open, and water and blood came, and he bore Eve. And Eve became the mother of man. Christ on the cross, his side was open and water and blood. The last Adam, womb of God, was opened again, that man could be born again. Jesus is the last Adam. When man is born, he is born under sin. You understand this? That's it. Man was never condemned. Sin was condemned. God never condemned man. He never condemned man. He condemned sin. But because man is under sin, he is under what? Condemnation. You understand this? Because man is born under sin, he is therefore under condemnation. And he has no ability to get out from under that condemnation. And when God judges in finality sin, all those that are under the condemnation of that sin will go where God does, where God sends the sin. In Christ, we come out from under the condemnation. And we don't come under Christ, we come into him. We become as one with Jesus. What's that mean? I have no idea, but that's what the Bible says. We come into Christ. This is why man must be born again, because we're born of Adam. You can't escape it. Your good works, the Bible says, though you wash with much soap and much lye, yet your iniquity remains. You can't scrub iniquity away. Iniquity is in the blood, and that's why we're born by the blood of Jesus. That's why the blood of Jesus is what matters. The blood of Jesus is what saves us, because it is pure. The righteous, sinless blood of Christ is what sin saves us from the iniquitous blood of our ancestor, Adam. Two different types of sin in the scripture, Christian. Harmatia, harmatano. Harmatia is to offend, to push away. Harmatano is all the stupid stuff you do. Harmatano doesn't condemn you. It makes you miss your destiny, but harmatia condemns us all. 
right? You can be born again. How many knows Christian sin? I just like, I always like to just like, let's just have a therapy session. I got one honest person here this morning. It is Easter, right? You're Christian and you still sin. Um, are you with me? Right? That's harmatia or harmatano. That means you're, you're missing the mark. There's the first, there's the Greek word for, for to offend means to push away. That's the sin that we all are born separated from God. We're all born pushed away from God. And Christ came to bridge that gap that we who were afar off might be brought near, the Bible says. You understand that? And But even as a Christian, my sins are not condemning me, but they are causing me to live a life off of destiny. Christianity is a lifestyle. You get born again, you get saved, you get forgiven, but we're supposed to pursue this kingdom. And as we pursue this kingdom, our life begins to transform. And the sins that we choose against this kingdom cause us to move off of the destiny. You have a destiny in this world. You have a purpose in this world. Every single one of you is born on purpose with a purpose. You know it. You can bring a child up here and a child will tell you they feel like they're born for a reason. Because you were born with destiny in your heart. You're born with eternity in your heart. What separates you from that destiny oftentimes is a misalignment with your life if you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian, the first thing that's separating you is you need to become to Christ. He made you. He's the designer. Nobody knows how the design works better than the designer. Your iniquities have separated you. Complete forgiveness. So what are the benefits of the resurrection? So we're separated. This is why Jesus had to come. He loves us. He, listen, let's just be for the record. He didn't have to do this. You understand this? The king of glory was under no obligation to come down where we are. He ministered for three years. He, 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 was, he showed, started his ministry at 30. Whole, whole background behind that. And he ministered for three years. And you know why? Because I, I think he couldn't wait to get out of here. Because he knew where he came from. Right? He's like, let's make a quick work out of this. Right? Right? Even when he, even when he started ministering, it was a fulfillment of Scripture. Talk about according to the Scripture. The Bible tells us in uh, uh, the book of Numbers that the priests will not enter their office until 30 years old. And so all of the earthly priests in, in the Jewish uh, faith, they couldn't become a priest until they were 30. And so Jesus, again, living and fulfilling in accordance to Scripture, stepped into his ministry office at 30, right? The priests were to take mikvah baths when they, became, when they came into their office. They were to be washed head to toe. What did Jesus do? He was baptized in the Jordan, fulfilling the ministry, right? First Adam, as soon as he came into his anointing, he lost it. So where did Jesus do? He went out to prove that I'm not, the, I'm not, I'm not, like, I'm not like yesterday's team, you know? Uh, you're, different, you're dealing with a different Adam now. And he went into the desert to be tempted of the devil. And then he came out. He became out there declaring victory over that first portion of temptation. All kinds of crazy stuff. So what do we receive? when we, what, what, is, what does the resurrection mean to us? Resurrection means complete forgiveness of sin. <laughs> Aren't you glad? Complete forgiveness. Of, you are accepted, Christian. Our problem is we view our lives in the lenses of what we do, even as Christians. To the unbeliever, you're not saved. You're outside. You're still under judgment, which means you need to get out of judgment and come unto Christ because you ain't getting out of judgment. You can sit in a lotus position and meditate until your, until your feet fall, turn blue, right? And you're not getting out of judgment. You can think happy thoughts all you want, but you're not coming out of judgment. You cannot. Only the blood of Jesus there's one who died for you. There's not many ways to Christ. There's not many ways to heaven. There's one. If there were many ways, Christ would not have been brutally murdered. And he was brutally murdered. He took the penalty of sin upon himself. Buddha and all of these things, they can't save you. They can't. Scientology ain't saving you. No. It's not saving you. It's appointed for man to die one time and stand the judgment. So we're not reincarnated and cycling through karma until we get it right. You stand one time and you come to give an account of your life. Are you saved? Are you not? The Christian doesn't go before the seat of judgment. They go before the seat of the reward. Every single thing about you right now, Jesus is looking to reward you. He's not looking to condemn you. He's looking to reward you. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation on you. He's looking at you to reward you. When you die and you in Christ, you go before the Bema seat. The seat of reward. And the Lord says, what have you done in my name? Have you done anything in my name? You give a cup of cold water to a prophet. I got a guy here, that's all he does. Every time he sees me, he's handing me water. 
He said, Elliot's going to be walking around with a wheelbarrow full of treasure. And I'm going to, where'd you get this? I just handed out water. That's all I did. Right? He's looking to reward us. Anything you do in my name, he'll reward us. You're not judged as a Christian. You're loved and accepted on your worst day. Say it. I'm loved. I'm accepted on my worst day. Say this. I didn't qualify me. I can't disqualify me. Right? Your position as a son and daughter, you didn't qualify for that. He gave it to you. You can disqualify your purpose, but you can't disqualify your position. You understand that? Position and purpose are two different things. In Christ, you were positioned. You were born again. And from that position, you are to pursue purpose. Your purpose, you can completely blow your purpose up and you can completely miss your purpose. But if you're positioned in Christ, you can't disqualify yourself because you didn't qualify you. You're born again. People want to know how that works. What's that, what's that look like? When you have a child, is that child your child? Right? They may look like you, but how many knows your children don't always act like you? How many knows your children don't always act the way you want them to act? Anybody with kids know that. Now there's a kid, amen. And occasionally a parent gets a golden child that's like just, you know, sings hallelujah wherever they go. But for the rest of us, our children don't always act the way we want. But they're still our children, aren't they? They're still our children. When you become born of Christ and you're born again. So just so you know, not every person in this world is a, is, is a child of God. You're not. They're God's creation, but they are not God's children. To those who receive Christ, they are given the power and the authority to be called the sons and daughters of God. The world cannot be called the sons and daughters of God. You are exceptional among the accepted. You are. You are a son and daughter of the highest. And one of the things the devil always does is he tries to dumb down the Christian's identity. He wants to dumb you down and dumb you down and get you to believe that your value and worth is based upon the stupid things that you do. Your value and worth has nothing to do with the stupid things you do. Do you love your children? Anybody have anybody have a small child? Anybody got one in diapers? Anybody at all? Anybody got one in diapers? Right? When he makes when he or she makes a poopy diaper, do you get do you disown them? No, you don't. What do you do? You clean up the mess and you put the you put a fresh diaper on them and you change their clothes if necessary. Just because you make a poopy diaper, God doesn't disown you. Right? We all blow it out sometimes. <laughs> I always tell people, if you're at the mall and there's some little kids running around in a diaper, just know that kid's been through three outfits today. You know what I'm talking about. God doesn't disown you because you make a poopy diaper. You can make 70 times 7 poopy diapers, and he's going to change them every single time. His desire is for you to grow. His desire for you in your growth is to gain control over areas of your life that are uncontrollable to you. But he never disowns you, ever. On your worst day, he doesn't disown you. On your worst day, he stands for you. He loves you. He's not against you. He's for you. Forever, forever for you. Some of you need to wake up in the morning and encourage yourself with that. You're loved, man. You're loved. He loves you. Like I said, your dog doesn't love you all the time. Neither does your cat, but Jesus always does. I was pulling into Marshall's. I had some old lady cut me off. And, that, you know, my temptation was to tell her she was number one. But, you know, <laughs> she was driving a really big car. And she just hustled right into that spot. And I'm like, and I was like, I started feeling a little rejected. I started feeling a little hurt. And I thought, that lady doesn't love me. You know, I know, have a pity party. And I said, but I would tell myself, God loves me. God loves me. Anytime you feel discouraged, you need to encourage yourself that God loves you. For no particular reason at all, Jesus loves you. He loves you. And when you come to Christ, the Bible says when you don't know Jesus, he loves you from afar. He loves you even at a distance. He loves the sinner. He loves the broken. He loves them even though they don't know him. His love is towards them. But in Christ, you are accepted and you are beloved. You become favored, unique and highly favored. And your sins are forgiven. Thank you, Jesus. This is what the resurrection is all about. This is why it's happy day. Happy day. In Christ, we are set free by the blood of his death. There's the blood again. And so we have the forgiveness of sins because God is rich in grace. He's rich. 
You know what grace is? Spiritual power moving in love. Grace isn't, I just need grace. We think grace is peace. Grace is not peace. It's charis. It's power. It's spiritual power moving in love. If this kingdom does, that's right. That's right. If your faith doesn't have power, you need to upgrade your faith, Christian. If you don't have experiential power, you need to, have, you need to upgrade your faith. What did he tell the disciples? Wait in Jerusalem until you what? Receive power. Don't do a thing until you activate power. Don't do a thing until you're acclimated with power. Because good works aren't going to carry you through. Good theology is not going to carry you through. Wishful thinking isn't going to carry you through. But spiritual power will. Oh, come on. Spiritual power will. If you have a toaster and it's not connected to a a plug, is it useful? It's completely useless. It looks good. I have a nice shiny chrome one. Four slot. My wife, we had, we've had a toaster for like 20 years. My wife's like, I think it's time to upgrade the toaster. You know, the bottom falls out. Every time you pick it up, the bottom falls out and all the crumbs go on the thing. You know, me, I'm trying to get every ounce. But I'm like, it works. It still works. And so she buys a new one. It's a beautiful, pretty Black & Decker chrome toaster there. But it's useless unless I plug it in. Useless. Looks good, but useless. Your faith is your faith. You can be born again, but the active power of your faith, the overcoming power of your faith is useless without power. Useless. We need to learn power. The church needs to recover its power. The church needs to step into its power and activate it. Right? Just a thought. So sin produces guilt. Sin produces shame. Sin produces a lot of negative after effects. In Christ, you get free. You get free, right? Anybody know what it means to be born again? Remember when you were born again? You could see colors, right? Music sounded alive to you. This is where we're supposed to live from that place. What happens, we get lost in the weeds as we move along. We start believing things and thinking things that are just total nonsense. We believe God's against us. We We let the enemy incept things into our life that are not true, that are not true. The love of God is everything. The cornerstone of this kingdom is not just Jesus, but his goodness. It's Christ and the goodness that he brings into our life. If you build on anything else, you're building the wrong way. So sin is what separates us. God says, come, let us settle the matter. Isaiah 1.18. Though your sins are as scarlet, they'll be white as snow. Every one of us has sin. So, you know, we're all sinners. All y'all. Me too, right? Though your sins be as scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they are as crimson, they will become like wool. I was a sinner, but I'm no longer. I'm a son now. If you're in Christ, you're now a son. You say, yeah, but I still sin. Yeah, you're a son who's not got it all together. But you're still a son. You're still a son. You're still a daughter. You're still accepted. All we like sheep have turned away, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. There's that iniquity again. See that? Christ died for the iniquity. It wasn't just the sin, the external sins of our life. Christ died for the iniquity that was in our bloodline. And what does that iniquity? Because every one of us has turned away to our own way. It's that separation, that offense, the separation. Christ died for the separation and that iniquitous separation that we all carry. And now when we come to Christ, we're born again. Born not of the blood of Adam, but the blood of heaven. Royal blood is in you. The blood of a lion is in you. You're born of the highest seed in the highest realm. You are. You are world changers. You are hope dealers. You are chain breakers. This is what you are. Rise, Christian. Rise. Rise to the level of your birth. Rise to the level of your destiny. No one makes you live diminished but you. Nobody. Self-imposed limitations. Who told you that? Who told you that? Who told you you couldn't go forward? Jesus ain't telling you. Jesus is like, come. He didn't tell Peter to stay in the boat. No, you stay here, Peter. I got it. He's like, you want to come out here with me, Peter? Come on, man. You want to come out into the wild? Oons, oons, oons. He brought him out on the waves, right? Into the wild. Jesus was handed over to die for our sins. He was raised to make us right, Romans 4.25. Second thing, the benefits, it's not just the forgiveness of sins. It's we can have fear, we can have be fearless in the face of death. Did you know that? One person. Amen to that person. There's no fear in death, Christian. To be absent from the body is to be present, from the, present with the Lord. There's no fear in death. The Bible says every single person is bound by the fear of death. The only thing they fear more than death is public speaking. <laughs> True. 
True. Let's see. Do I want to die or do I want to publicly give a speech? I think I'll die today. That's what I... It's true. Inasmuch we are children of partakers of flesh and blood, Christ himself shared with us in the same, that he might die for us. Jesus came as us. That's what the scripture is saying. He became flesh and blood. Incarna, right? Hypostatic union, if you're theological. That's what it's called, the hypostatic union. God became incarnate. They can't explain it, so they just come up with these huge words. What does that mean? We don't know. So uh, anybody got a good word? I know, hypostatic union. Hey, that's a good one. Let's write that down, Charlie. Because they can't explain how God became man. Because he's unexplainable. If you can explain God, he's not God. He's a little smarter than you. He's a little wider than you. He's a little broader than you. He has a little bit more power than you. You can't explain him. He's not God. He can be understood, but he can't be explained. He's unexplainable. We can understand him. We can understand his nature. We can understand his heart. We can understand his ways. But there are certain aspects that we don't understand. How could God become man? I don't know. Because he's God. He can do whatever he wants. How can he make Adam from, from the earth? Right? He, he made Adam from the dirt. He breathed into us the breath of life. He drew Eve from his side. The greatest testimony of the believers, we don't fear death. There's no fear in death. Right? Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and life. He who believes in me, though he died, yet he will live. <laughs> you live, man. You're immortals. Let me just look around the room. Everybody look around the room. Look to your right, look to your left. If there's Christians, if you're born again Christian, you're an immortal. You're an immortal, right? Forget the Marvel comic immortals. You are the immortals. Immortals. You will live forever. You ever thought about that? You're not going to die. We plan our vacations. We plan our weddings. But so few of us plan our eternity. What you do in this life echoes in eternity. What you do for him echoes in eternity. What you do for, for yourself is hay, wood, and stubble. Poof. Our glory of our reward is all that we do for him. That Christ may have the preeminence. Some of the questions some of you need to ask this year is, Lord, how may I glorify you? How may I glorify you this year? That treasure might await me. You'll have salvation. You're all getting in the door. Don't worry. The Bible says your butt may be smoking, but you're going to get in the door. People that live carnal lives, and they're Christians that live carnally, but yet they're born again. They constantly broach their conscience, and they constantly live worldly lives, either by ignorance or by arrogance. They choose it. The Bible says they don't really have a reward, but they'll be saved, but by fire or by smoke. <laughs> So when we get to this kingdom and people's backsides are smoking, we know who that part you. Steve, why is your rear end smoking? Man, whoo! It's warm, I know, but I'm here. I'm here. I don't want my backside smoking, man. I want to glorify him because the glory isn't ours. We will present ourselves to him and we present the tribute of our lives to him. Don't you want to present a tribute of, a, of your life to Jesus, Christian? I refuse to come before this king empty-handed. I refuse. I will not stand before this king, and I will not come empty-handed. I will seek him and ask him, what can I do, Lord? What do you desire of me? Because you see, the reward that Jesus gives us is not based upon human expectations. It's based upon what he told you to do. You can build 10,000 cities, and Jesus can say, that doesn't impress me because I didn't tell you to do it. And you didn't need me to do that. You did that on your own. What God rewards us on is based upon what he's told us to do and how we followed him and incorporated our lives with him. That's where our reward comes from. Not through our capabilities and our human standards. Third thing is the resurrection gives us access to the Holy Spirit. The disciples ran when he died, didn't they? Running for the hills. Peter cussed. Peter's, a, Peter's one of my favorite guys too, right? I always imagine him with a few teeth missing. You're like, Peter was a saint. Saint Peter, was he? Was he? He cussed, he carried a sword. He was a longshoreman, right? He was a fisherman. He probably liked to fight. We know he was pushing people out of the way when Jesus was walking. He was the Peter was shoving him, get out of the way. Get out of the way. I told you, get out of the way. And Jesus said, somebody touched me. And Peter's too busy playing Smackdown, right? Peter's the one getting rid of the kids. Uh, get these kids out of here. Why are these kids here? All right. <laughs> he was a coward. 
Bible says he swore when Jesus, when they came to him. He cussed. He cussed. We like to sanitize it. The Bible doesn't sanitize it. He cussed. I don't blankety-blank know him. Stop telling me I was with him. Stop telling me I know him. I don't blankety-blank know him. And he cussed at a girl, a little girl. Right? He, he swore as if he put his hand on the Bible. I swear. No, he cussed. That's the word. It's profanity. He used profanity. Yeah. He was completely powerless without the Holy Spirit. Right? He couldn't even testify to a little girl. But when the Holy Spirit came upon him, he stood before 5,000 people. And he was not ashamed. When they came to take his life because he had known the resurrection. And he had known the power of the kingdom. He was crucified upside down, the Bible says. Or not the Bible says, but church tradition says he was crucified upside down when the Romans went to kill him. Yeah, not worthy. He said, I'm not worthy. Crucify me upside down. Andrew was crucified. That's why there's the X, the Andrew's cross. Andrew was crucified on a cross. And they left him there for days. And they said that Andrew was nailed on a cross and he's preaching. Hey, I don't know if y'all know, Jesus is Lord. I don't know if you guys know this. And now y'all come here to watch me die. Don't worry about me. I know where I'm going. Do you know where you're going? Yeah. They love not their lives unto death. My favorite is Thomas. The, Bible, uh, the history, church history says he was torn apart with hooks. Hooks! Okay, so if I got a choice, I'm going to be beheaded. I can be crucified upside down. I can be hung on a cross on an X formation for a few days. Or I can be torn apart with hooks. Number four on the list is being torn apart with hooks. I am not choosing that one, right? They tore Thomas apart with hooks. They completely disemboweled him. And he never denied Christ. These are witnesses of the resurrection, Christian. If Jesus wasn't risen from the dead and this wasn't true, they would have all said, hey, we were just kidding. Sorry. Every single one of them went to the death. Every single one of them. And when the Romans started executing Christians in the first century, they were baiting. Right? Polycarp said, if they will not come to me, I will bid them to come. Do not ransom me. I'm ready to die. Polycarp's going, give me some A1 sauce. You're going to throw me to the lions? Get the barbecue sauce on. You know, get the stubs. All right, get my back in stubs, right? Coat me down. <laughs> A1 on my head. And I don't know what they're looking for, but I'm, I want them to come. I'm ready to die. They wanted to die for his name. He told them to wait for the promise. We have access to power. You don't have to live this faith in your own will. You live it through the Holy Spirit. Number one relationship you need to begin to cultivate is a relationship with the Holy Spirit. You need to learn him. Right? He's not crazy Uncle Jim. He's the active presence and power. He's the administrator of the kingdom. He's the one who manifests everything. Jesus says he will take from what is mine and declare it or make it known or manifest it unto you. You cannot manifest anything without the Holy Spirit. Doctrine will not manifest anything. I'm a doctrine guy. I could lay out doctrine all day. But doctrine cannot manifest power. Just a thought. God demonstrates his love for us while we were yet sinners. Christ died. God loves us. So the resurrection demonstrates God's love. What is love? Love in the Bible is to seek the highest good. Everybody say it with me. God's love is not an emotional experience towards me. Say it with me. God's love is an intention. So when the Bible says he loves you, it means he's intentional. He looks at your life and says, what can I do? Well, how can I benefit you? That's why Christ died. Because the highest need that we had, the highest benefit we needed was salvation. Then the highest benefit we needed after that was the power to live out these promises. So he gave us the Holy Spirit. And so when God looks at our lives, he's not looking at our lives and, and having an emotional experience like, oh, Bob, you just did so great this week. I just feel that you just need, it's not emotional at all. It's intentional. God's love is to seek the highest good. It's always what he's doing is seeking the highest good. He loves you. The resurrection demonstrates his highest good, his love for us. Aren't you glad Jesus loves you? Amen. Come on. Come on. If you don't, if you don't like, I'm glad Jesus loves you, today's your exercise is to go to the mirror and give yourself one of these. <laughs> and tell yourself, the love of Christ must matter to me. It must matter to you. Right? Resurrection, uh, resurrection proves our meaning of our existence. Almost done. We're not created for popularity. We're not created for possessions. We're not created for positions. And we're not created for pleasure. All those, things are, all those things are fine. However, without Christ and the purpose, they're meaningless. Our purpose is in Him. In Him we live, move, and have our being. Right? Acts 17. 
So all these things, these pursuits of these things without Jesus become empty. And so the resurrection shows us that we have a higher calling and a higher destiny than just the everyday. We're called to be sons and daughters. And we're called to pursue a purpose that brings his glory and his life to the world. We're called to bring glory to the world and to seek the common good. We're, we're, we're weavers of the thread. We're to rethread the fabric of culture, of a broken culture with kingdom culture. We don't bring the fabric of the church culture to the culture. We bring the fabric of the kingdom culture to the culture. In case you don't know, there's three cultures. There's the world's culture. The Bible calls it cosmos. It means system of thinking. So when scripture talks about culture, it talks about world. It uses a word called cosmos, and it means a system of thinking. So the world is a system of thinking. It's a system of greed. It's a system of selfishness. It's a system of indulgence. That's how the world thinks. The church is a system of thinking. So there's church culture. Anybody been involved in church culture before? Right? Church, churches have their own little culture. They have their own little hang-ups, their own little habits. Just because the church has a culture doesn't mean it's the kingdom culture. The high calling of the believer is not to live by world culture, church culture, but by kingdom culture. On earth as it is in heaven. That's the command. That's the invitation. And what does it mean? System of thinking. That we are renewed and transformed by the renewing of our mind. That we think and believe not from this world, not from the context of a, of a religious system, but we think and believe from the context of his kingdom. This church is a kingdom culture church. That's what we do. We're not interested in denominational points of views or anything. I'm interested in his point of view. That's it. Right? Kingdom culture church. On earth as it is. Right? We want to see and understand how's God. What is, what is God's heart for you? What do you think, Lord? What are you saying? He loves you. That's his purpose for you. The culture of this church is to bring glory to God and to bring his purposes about in your life and to call you onto that. The resurrection shows us the meaning that we're called and created for purpose. The resurrection opens the way for eternal life. This is the glory of it all, isn't it? Eternal life. We're going to see each other forever. Happy day. Happy day. But you're going to see the good me forever. Right? You're going to see me full of the spirit forever. You're not going to see me on my bad days because I won't have any bad days. Let's just give you an understanding. Like who you are in the spirit is your eternal person. So when you, when you worship and you're like, whoo, and you're just full of the spirit and you're like, wow, that's who you are eternally. That is, you, that is your forever you. When you are, you know, flipping the lady off because she cuts you off in a parking lot at Marshall's, that's not the forever you. Okay? Just so you know. So you know. Right? Just keeping it real. Keeping it real. All right? So the resurrection opens up the way to eternal life. You're an eternal being. You will live forever. You will live forever. You will experience eternal life. Scripture is very clear. Or you experience eternal death, which is an ongoing, you will, it's a constant dying. You will, be live, you will be literally living a living death over and over again, but you will not cease to exist. The idea that man ceases to exist is not scripture. Truth be known, Jesus spoke more on hell than anybody else before him. There was no prophet that spoke on hell like Jesus. There was no minister that spoke. Paul didn't speak anywhere near about hell as Jesus did. Jesus spoke very clearly and very bluntly about it because he knows it's real. He knows it's real. He knows that we will have an eternal life, an ongoing. You know what eternal life is? It is a self-perpetuating life. It's life and life and life and life and life. What we have in this world is we're living on the inside, but we're dying on the outside, aren't we? The Bible actually talks about that. Inwardly, we're growing. Outwardly, we're decaying. <laughs> that eternal world is we will, it will be a self-perpetuating life. You'll be living and living and living and living and living and living eternally. Eternal life. Man was not created for death. Hell was not created for man. The Bible says hell was created from hell, the devil and his angels. But because of man's sin, man's rebellion against God, he entered into the sin of the devil and therefore came under the condemnation of the devil. So when God finalizes that condemnation and casts the devil into the abyssal or through the abyss, those that are bound unto that transaction will go with them. People say that's not loving. Come to Christ and you'll experience God's love. The most loving thing you can ever do, the most loving way you can ever experience God's love. God's love is not on our terms. This is what we think. We want, God, we want God's love on our terms. We want to be able to worship Buddha and follow Allah and do whatever we want and still experience God's love. God's love is through Jesus alone. 
only through Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He didn't say, I am a way. He said, I am the way. It's exclusive. This is why the, the gospel is offensive to those who don't believe, because it's exclusive. It says it's the fragrance of life that are born again, but it's the aroma of death to those that are perishing. The message of the exclusivity of the gospel is offensive. And do you know why? Churches don't teach it anymore. Our churches are not teaching the exceptionality of Jesus and the exclusivity of this gospel. We don't ever have to worry about sin because the church doesn't talk about it. Oh, yeah. They don't talk about it. Go home and pick out 10 modern churches and listen to their messages. You might get two or three, maybe 20 or 30% will actually mention the word sin. Ever. Right? I've watched hours of people's messages, and I haven't heard the guy talk about sin one time. The Holy Spirit comes to convict the world of what? Anybody know? Three things. What is it? Sin, righteousness, and judgment. So when the church is not speaking to the unbeliever about sin, we're disabling the Holy Spirit from doing his job. When the church does not speak about righteousness, which is what is right to God, you need to come to him. That's what's right to him. We're disabling the Holy Spirit. When the church does not talk about judgment, and I'm not saying we build a platform about it, and that becomes our eternal message, our every week message, but it needs to be included in the message, particularly on a day like this, because the resurrection is about saving us. From what? From sin and hell and condemnation. It's meaningful. He was bruised. He was wounded. He did it all for us. The resurrection opens the way to eternal life. If you're here today and you don't know where you would go, are you sure? Do you know where you would go? If you die today, very common question. If you were to die today, do you know where you would go? Are you certain? If you're not certain, you can be certain. <laughs> Happy day, right? You can be sure. How can I be sure? How can I be sure? You can be sure. You can be sure. You don't have to, you don't have to understand it. You just need to believe it. Just shared a testimony of a guy last week, Dave, and uh, Dave, Dave never became a Christian because he couldn't understand it. And I told him, I said, Dave, you don't become a Christian through theological understanding. You become a Christian through belief. The Bible says believe in your what? Right. Did it say believe in your mind? Does it say intellectually understand everything and conceptually understand everything? If someone's thirsty, we don't break down the molecular structure of H2O. We give them water. They don't need to understand the molecular structure of H2O in order to drink. Just drink. Amen. It's true. You don't have to understand it. You have to understand it. You experience it. You say, yeah, but Jesus is like fairies and gnomes. I said, what's your heart tell you? He said, my heart tells me it's real. But my head tells me it's like a fantasy. Well, I said, well, your head's lying to you. Your heart is where the truth lies. Believe in your heart. If you're here today and you don't know where you would go, today you can be sure. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, today's your day. Happy day. What do I got to do? What do I got to do? You know, don't have a panic attack. It's okay. It's all right. Your heart may be racing. Your palms may be sweaty. It's you. It's you. You're gripping the chair. You're looking for the door. It's you. It's all right. It's a 40-second prayer. That's all it is. All you got to do is give it away. All you got to do is open your heart. The Bible says, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. Jesus can do a lot of things, but he can't open the door of your heart. And he will not. He will not impose himself upon you. You must willfully open your heart and allow him to come inside. And Jesus said, but if you will open your heart to me and you will believe in what you cannot understand, I'll step across the threshold and I'll commune with you. Common union. I will be as one with you. That's what he says. Every one of us has sinned. Wages of that sin is death. Gift of God is eternal life. If you believe in your heart, and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, and today's the day that he rose from the dead, you'll be saved. So I don't understand it. You don't need to understand it, man. You just need to do it. Take the red pill, Neil. Right? Come down the rabbit hole. Come out of the matrix and come into the real world. So if that's you, we're going to pray. Everybody here, we're going to pray together. We're going to pray together. We're not going to isolate you. We pray as a family. And all you got to do is open your heart. Open your heart. I'll lead you in the prayer. Jesus has already done the heavy lifting. It's like an elevator. I always tell people this one. It's like it didn't cost anybody. You can go to the penthouse. Some of you got an office on the top floor. 
Didn't cost you anything to put that elevator in there. All you got to do is push a button and it takes you right there. But it cost somebody a lot to put that elevator in that building. Didn't cost you a lot. It's not going to cost you anything to give your life to Christ. You're going to have to push the button. You're going to have to take a step. That's basically what the Bible says. But it costs the Lord a lot to create that access. It's an infinite price he paid so that it could be an easy transaction. So if you're here today and you're watching us by live stream, it would be my honor to lead you in a prayer. So open your heart and let Jesus become Lord on the greatest day of all. I want you to say this. Just close your eyes and say, Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior and I need a Savior. I may not understand this, but I choose to believe it. So I open my heart to you, Jesus, and I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me. And I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you. And all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. You say, that's it? No, that's the start of it. Come on. <laughs> So we're going to break it down. I'm going to pray over you one more time. We're going to have a prayer team available over here. Any of you here that need prayer, we have a prayer team that are loaded. They're going to want to pray for you. And then also want you to hang out, meet and greet some people. Uh, free cake, calorie free. According to your faith, just prophesy. I declare the thousand calories to lift off of that cake in the name of Jesus. And so hang out and uh, let me bless you one more time. May the Lord bless you. Oh, yeah, we have the photo wall too. So you guys can take some pictures if you want to as well. So let me bless you. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. And may he give you peace. And may you forever live within his favor. In Jesus' name, amen. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week. <laughs>